This is Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore. When the son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who bears, who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, and yet I have borne him a son in his old age? <clears throat> the child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. As she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and, in, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. 
while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Genesis chapter 21 tells us about the birth of Isaac, a birth that we have been waiting for many chapters, a birth that Abraham and Sarah have been waiting for many years. This was the miraculous birth promised by God long before. But dissension grew in Abraham's family. It reached a climax at the celebration held for the winning for Isaac from Sarah and the expulsion of Hagar and Ishmael from Abraham's tent. The tension concerning Sarah's barrenness had been building ever since it was first mentioned in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. There we read, Now Sarai was barren. She had no children, no child. And that tension has increased with the passing of time and with each promised uttered by the Lord concerning a child for Abraham and Sarah. Those promises which were reiterated and clarified from time to time were comforting, no doubt. But they also increased the anticipation. When, Lord, when will Sarah and Abraham have this child? Time is certainly running out. Finally, the time has come. The text says, the Lord was gracious to Sarah. The first two verses of Genesis chapter 21 stress that God is powerful and faithful. God is powerful because he can cause barren elderly Sarah to give birth. The birth of Isaac was supernatural. She was now 90 years old. She had been barren all her life. Abraham was 100. That's according to verse 5. And the Lord miraculously enabled her to conceive. God is faithful. Because he did what he said he would do in his own time and way. When we read verses 1 and 2, do you notice the emphasis upon is this being a fulfillment on to the promises of God? Hear it again. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Three times. The text emphasizes that these things happen in fulfillment to God's promises. Though the wait was long and offer, 
too matures, God was never not in complete control. Despite everything it might have looked like the Lord was against Sarah, she had no children of herself. She had been frustrated and ridiculed in her own house by her own maid servant. And yet God's kind providence was upon Sarah. Now, immediately, Abraham follows the Lord's instruction to a T. Has he finally learned his lesson? He names the boy Isaac and has him circumcised on the eighth day, as the Lord commanded in Genesis chapter 17, verses 12 and 19. He said God had commanded him. The name Isaac means laughter. And whereas Sarah had once laughed in disbelief at the thought of giving birth in her old age, the laughter we see here in verse 6 is one of joy rather than skepticism. The very name give to, given to the son Isaac illustrates how the Lord has turned around the reproach of Abraham and Sarah, and he has turned it into a matter of blessings. Once upon a time, the only laughter heard in the tents of Abraham and Sarah about their offspring was laughter against them. No doubt, Sarah herself had felt many days of reproach. But now, the laughter is only joy. And those who laugh, laugh with her as God's kind providence. In verse 6, the Lord has turned a reproach into a blessing. And Sarah, too, is vindicated. She says it herself in verse 7. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The Lord has been kind to Sarah. And she has waited over many, many years. Why had God waited so long? to fulfill this promise to Abraham and Sarah. God waited so long to fulfill his promise to them because God was waiting for the ticking biological clock of Sarah's womb to completely run down. God wanted to leave no doubt as to the reasons for Isaac's birth. Isaac's birth needed to be a supernatural demonstration of God's power so that the credit for the miracles of Isaac's birth would be God's alone. Now, were they perfectly faithful? While waiting through these 25 years, seeing the original promise? No. I'm sure none of us do have been either. But we do see how waiting strengthens us, gives us time to grow. 
allow God to train us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Their faith may not have been perfect, but they did continue to believe the promise, even though there were many times when they doubted. Really, what this shows is that God's promises are not dependent on our faith. But when the time is right on his agenda, he fulfills them, regardless of our situation. When God wants to build our patience and our faith, he gives us promises, sends us trials, and tells us to trust him. But the birth of Isaac threatens Ishmael. Abraham's son by Hagar. For 13 years, he has been the sole heir, the focus of his father's attention, the hope of his father's dreams. But now he is set aside in favor of his, this newcomer. So the tension in Abraham's family begins to grow. To make matters worse, he understood his position in the family hierarchy. Normally, the firstborn would be the main heir. But that was not the case for him. Isaac, this new baby, was the child of promise and was the primary heir. Verse 8 mentions that Isaac grew and was weaned. We learn from this that about three years has passed since Isaac was born. Because most children were weaned around three years old. So for three years, this conflict had been brewing in Ishmael and the family. And it finally came to head at a family celebration. Drama always services at family celebration, doesn't it? So Isaac was three years old, and Ishmael was 17 years old, and during the family celebration of Isaac, Sarah caught Ishmael mocking her son Isaac. The term random mocking means to jest, to make sport of. So as Ishmael ridiculed little Isaac, Sarah's blood boiled. So as her motherly protectiveness mixed with petty jealousies, Sarah demanded Abraham get rid of the slave woman and her son. This, of course, put Abraham in a very tough place. Anyone who lives in a step family home can identify with Abraham's situation. Abraham loved Sarah and was overjoyed by the little boy tottering around his tent. But he also loved his other son, Ishmael. So although he may have wanted to keep Ishmael close, he knew that the rivalry between his two sons 
would likely grow even more intense as and would eventually make life intolerable for everyone. After all, Abraham loved Ishmael. He was very bit, uh, he was every bit as much Abraham's son as Isaac was. He would now be 15 or 16 on the age of manhood. Abraham has spent years teaching him the skills of life. They have spent many happy hours together, watching over the flocks, talking about life's questions. And Abraham had a fond spot in his heart for Hagar, the boy's mother, even if they had only had relations at once. Still, they had produced a son together. Hagar had been in family for years, but now Sarah was insisting that Hagar and Ishmael had to go. Abraham was torn as there and this competing love fought on the battleground of his heart. He faced the most difficult decision in his life. Should he make Sarah face reality and learn to live with Hagar and Ishmael? Or should he consent to her request, which was clearly based on jealousies, and send Hagar and Ishmael away? At this point, the Lord intervened and told Abraham to do what Sarah has said in verse 12. Frankly, this is a bit startling. From Hagar's and Ishmael's perspective, it seemed unfair. Hagar had, Hagar had not had a choice in the matter of conceiving Ishmael with Abraham. And Ishmael, Ishmael hasn't asked to be born into that situation. His jealousy towards Isaac is understandable for a teenage boy. While Sarah's attitude was also understandable, it was not commendable. So why did God take Sarah's side? God's, God's reason is stated in verse 12, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. God wasn't endorsing Sarah's jealousy, but his sovereign purpose, God have chosen Isaac to be the one through whom his blessing will flow to all nations. Since he is God, he has a right to make such sovereign choices without giving us his reason. But in this case, I think we can discern the reason behind God's choice. Isaac represents that which only God can do. Sarah had always been barren. Now Abraham and Sarah were physically unable to produce a child due to age. So Isaac was a result of God's power apart from human ability. But Ishmael represents what man can do without God. Abraham and Hagar produced Ishmael by natural 
means. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31, Paul says that this story has a spiritual lesson behind it. Galatians chapter 4, verses 23 and 29 says, Ishmael was born according to the flesh or ordinary way. But Isaac was born according, according to the spirit. Abraham and Sarah could not boast in Isaac, but could not, could only glorify God for him. But Abraham could boast in Ishmael because he produced him. God chose Isaac so that we would know that the life of faith requires total dependence on God so that all the fruit comes from him, that which stem from our flesh, which we can do apart from God, can never please him. It exalts human pride and robs God of his glory due to his name. So even though it seems unfair that Hagar and Ishmael be expelled, it was necessary for God's purpose and glory. This story teaches us that the joy of the life of faith comes from obtaining what only God can do. The pain comes from separating what I can do in my own power. But concerning Ishmael, God assures Abraham that he will indeed also bless Ishmael. Since Ishmael true is Abraham's son. The blessing is that he will be looked to as the head of a nation. This is also mentioned in chapter 17 verse 20. Ishmael loses his inheritance as a son but gains an inheritance as a nation or a people. The next section, Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael away. Abraham didn't put off doing the hard thing, perhaps because he knew he might never follow through if he delayed. Abraham was obedient to God. He did this very hard thing early the next morning after God has spoken to him. Next, we read that Hagar wandered hopelessly in the desert around Beersheba where Abraham had been staying. When their water ran out, she laid her dying teenager under the meager shelter of a desert shrub and goes where she can't see him, in verse 16. Now Hagar began to cry. But it was not her cry, but Ishmael's cry that prompted God's attention. Ishmael was the special recipient of Abraham's blessing and God's concern. This was the second time 
that an angel of the Lord spoke to Hagar to protect her and Ishmael. The first time was in chapter 16, verses 7 to 12. This time, the angel told her not to be afraid and that God had heard the boy's cry, that she was not to quit, but to pick up her son and take him by the hand. Then her eyes were opened to see a well in the middle of the desert, where death and desolation were all she could see a minute before. Now she sees hope. God promised a future for Ishmael, and God provided the substance that needed to survive. While growing up in the desert or wilderness may seem like a bleak prospect to you, but as, a, as part of Abraham's household, Hagar and Ishmael have been encamped at the edge of the deserts for years. They would know how to survive as long as they had water. Verses 20 to 21 says, God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Note that it didn't mean that God didn't care about them just because Ishmael wasn't the child of promise. On the contrary, in verse 20, God was with the boy. Praise the Lord. Hopefully we have already learned many lessons from Genesis chapter 21. But I want to conclude today's sermon by drawing our attention to four primary lessons. The first lesson I want us to take to heart is that God keeps his promises. When God makes a promise, we know he will fulfill it. It's a good thing that God keeps his promises because the Bible is full of them. Here are some important things for us to keep in mind about the way God keeps his promises. We must remember that God is not in a hurry. Unlike God, we view all life from the limited perspective of time. God, however, is not bound by time or by human perspective. While we hurry because we might be late for something, the Lord doesn't need to rush because he maintains complete control over time. Unlike us, God is never early or late. He is always on time for us, within the flow of time. Waiting often feels like an eternity. Many of us are waiting for God to fulfill his promises. We may be waiting for relief, or waiting for an answer to prayer, or waiting for what we need as we, as we walk with God in faith, we learn to wait with anticipation instead of worries. When we walk with God and wait upon his promises, we don't fret over the if, 
but trust that it is only a matter of when. Second, God is gracious. Brothers and sisters, our sin has consequences. It produces turmoil and pain, but God is still gracious. Even as God tells Abraham that Ishmael must go, he tenderly reassured him in verse 13. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. God takes us through painful time, but he always does it with compassion. We also see his compassion towards Hagar and Ishmael. She has abandoned Ishmael, thinking that he is about to die. She begins sobbing. But in verse 17, it says that God heard not Hagar, but the lad crying. He then called to Hagar and points her to the well of water when she had not yet seen. The point is, we often think we are the only ones who care for our loved ones who are in distress. We cry out to God. But God has heard that cry even before he hears our cry. He cares for them more than we do. God graciously softens the pain of those who call out to him, even in those difficult times of pain. Third, God cares. God's treatment of Hagar can offer all of us some needed comfort, especially to those who are single parents. While we might feel alone, we are never alone. God sees us and God hears us and God will provide and sustain us. As Hagar lay weeping in despair and a young man lay dying of thirst, God heard their sorrow. God hears and knows our distress, our confusion, our regrets, and bitterness. And God wants to help us through it all. As we reflect on Hagar, the single parents, and Ishmael, the fatherless son, let's be reminded of Psalms 68 verses 5 to 6. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God. Whose dwelling is holy, God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. God then helped Hagar to open her eyes to the provisions that God had provided around her. The spring had been there all along, but she was blinded to it because of her despair. We often can't see beyond our own misery when we are in a bad place. God helped her to see what she had been missing and what she, had, uh, what she needed so badly. 
if we focus on our bitterness and misery, we will never see the well nearby and will die of thirst. I think for many of us, the thing we need so badly that we have been missing is the church. God's family is often the way of provisions and strength in our time of need. That's true not only for the single parents, but for all of us as well. Finally, consequences of sin. Friends, have you noticed that our sin often has consequences? Sin, sin makes life messy and complicated. Sin entangles. It wounds. It divides. Sixteen years earlier, Abraham and Sarah had decided between themselves that God needed their help. They con concorded a plan involving a Sarah's born woman, Hagar. And now Abraham and Sarah, Hagar and Ishmael, are reaping some of the bad fruit which had been sown so many years earlier. It's a sad story, isn't it? I'm sure that each, sorry, I'm sure that each of them, Abraham and Sarah, Hagar and Ishmael, shared many tears in the days in which the bitter fruit of sin of Abraham ripened. One of the most comforting promises and realities in our relationship with God is the forgiveness of our sins. But when God removes the eternal and spiritual consequences of our sin, often the earthly consequences still remain. Though nearly every act of sin is forgivable, the effect of some sin are not erasable. God's forgiveness doesn't necessarily remove earthly consequences. For Abraham and Sarah, although God had forgiven them for taking matters into their own hands to produce an heir, the reality of situation with Hagar and Ishmael remained and created earthly consequences that continue to affect people even today. Although the alcoholic may repent and sober up, the damage of years of sinful behavior may permanently remain in their body or family. A person may be forgiven by God for years of anger, abuse of their family, or infidelity, but the consequences of out of the wedlock offspring or loss of wife and children may remain. I wish that it was the case that only the guilty experienced the fallout of their sin. But the truth is that sin hurts the innocence as well. This reality should help us to be ever more diligent, to walk more closely with God. 
One of God's promises is that he will help us overcome any temptation and will provide a way out. So let's take, so let's take God's promise to heart and with God's help, avoid sin at all costs. So that neither we nor others will have to live with sin's lingering earthly consequences. Mercifully and thankfully, God will help us even through the painful earthly consequences of our forgiven sin. Life has its highs and lows, and we can trust God to help us through them all. Amen. May the Lord bless you.